You're listening to a message preached at Front Range Baptist Church by Pastor Dean Miller. It is our prayer that this message will be a help and an encouragement to you in your spiritual walk. Now, here's Pastor Miller. Acts chapter 14 this morning, if you find that in your Bible, Acts chapter 14, and we're going to be looking this morning at our next passage, and uh, this is a vitally important moment in Paul's first missionary journey. Look with me in Acts chapter 14 and verse number uh, 19, and there came hither certain Jews from Antioch to Iconium who persuaded the people, and having stoned Paul drew him out of the city, supposing that he had been dead. Howbeit, as the disciples stood round about him, he rose up and came into the city, and the next day he departed with uh, Barnabas to Derbe. And when they had preached the gospel to that city and had taught many, they returned again to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, confirming the souls of the disciples and exhorting them to continue in the faith and that we must, through much tribulation, enter into the kingdom of God. And when they had ordained them elders in every city and had prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord on whom they believed. And after they had passed throughout Pisidia and came to Pamphylia, and when they had preached the word in Persia, they went down to Attilia and thence sailed to Antioch, from whence they had been recommended to the grace of God for the work which they fulfilled. They had a work that they were sent to do, and uh, they fulfilled the work that God sent them to do. Remember, remember back in Antioch of Syria, uh, Saul was serving there, Barnabas was serving there, and the Holy Spirit said to that church, separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. And they separated them, they laid hands on them, they sent them out. And they sailed from there to Crete, and they went across the island of Crete, and then up into modern-day Turkey, and up through Antioch and Pisidia, and they preached and preached and preached and preached in all of those cities. There was great tribulation in all of those cities. There was persecution in all of those cities. Finally, they come to Lystra, and they're preaching in Lystra, and many people are believing on Christ. And the Jews uh, that had given them trouble in those cities beforehand found them down there in, um, in Lystra. And they took Saul, or Paul, out into the street, and they stoned him to death. Now, I don't know if he died or not. I don't know if that's the moment when Paul said later that he knew a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I don't know, that went up into the third heaven and saw things that are not lawful to write about. I don't know if Paul died and went to be with the Lord, and the Lord said, nope, go back, and he rose back from the dead. I don't know. But I know this, they thought he was dead And uh, the disciples are standing around him thinking that he's dead. And he got back up. Now, let me tell you, if that doesn't start a revival, I don't know what will. He got up, walked back in that city and preached, stayed there for a day in Lystra, and then went down to Derby, preached there, taught many people there. Many people came to Christ there. God did mighty works in Derby there. And then it was time to go home. Now, as you read through the book of Acts, sometimes if you're not careful, you'll read this and it just seems like a a geography lesson. But it's not a geography lesson. God is giving us specific attention to details 
and telling us what God was doing in the world. I want to show you a map very quickly. This is a map of Paul's, I think we have that. Do we have that up there, men? Uh, we have, uh, and it's going to be a little difficult to see. If you've got one in the back of your Bible, you can look at Paul's first missionary journey. But you'll see Antioch in Syria over to your right. And you'll see that blue line where they sailed over to, to Cyprus, went through that island and preached there. You remember that? They encountered that demon-possessed Jewish sorcerer there on uh, the west side of that island. They sailed up into Perga, and they went straight up through that valley. Now, if you know where that is, that's in modern-day Turkey, and that is a mountainous, difficult, vile terrain. Uh, it is forbidding and uh, that's where in, in Persia there, that's where uh, young John Mark, Barnabas's nephew, said, I'm going back home. And from Persia, he sailed all the way back down to Jerusalem, way down at the bottom of the map down there by Judea. Mark sailed from Persia all the way back to Jerusalem. But Paul and Barnabas left Persia, went up through those mountains. You remember when Paul wrote about later? He said, I was in perils of robbers. I was in perils of thieves. Uh, that would have been one of those places where Paul was traversing those mountains of modern-day Turkey. Very difficult terrain. Going through that area, great thieves and bands of robbers were in those areas. And Paul and Barnabas pressed up towards Antioch in Pisidia, way up there to the north. And they preached the gospel there in the synagogue. And many Many got saved. Many Gentiles believed on the Lord. And they came down from there to Iconium and then into, uh, into Lystra and then went over to Derby. Now, I want to just pause for a minute because they're there in Derby and the Holy Spirit says it's time to go home. And if you'll notice, when they're in Derby, you'll see Derby right there on that map. You'll see that uh, back, to the, uh, back to the east and to the south, right there above Cilicia. Remember, see that? See the purple nation, the purple province there of Cilicia? They're in Derby, down there to the south. All they had to do was drop down a little further to the southeast, and they would have been in Tarshish, Saul's home. And then from there, it was just a short hop across the bay back to Antioch of Syria and back to their home church. But that's not what they did. That's not what they did. They were down in the southeast. They were just a stone's throw from Paul's hometown. They were just a small ship ride away from their home church. They could have gone home. I mean, after all, Paul's been stoned. He's been beaten. He's been in peril. He's been, I mean, if you read what happened in, in chapter 13 and 14, Paul's been through the ringer. And I would say with Paul, uh, let's go home. Let's go home. If mom and dad are still living, let's go see them. Let's go see my family. See some friends. Let's go convalesce for a little while. I know some really cool places to eat at home. He was probably showing Barnabas all their Yelp reviews. This place right here is great. And he was ready to go home. And then it was just a short little boat ride to Antioch. And let's go back and be refreshed in our home church. But that's not what they did. Paul grabs Barnabas by the arm and said, Barnabas, my brother, it's time to go home. Let's start going. And I think Barnabas said, hey, wait a minute, we're heading north. Home is south. And he went back up. He went back up into the lion's den, into the fiery furnace. 
He went back up into the places where he'd been stoned and rejected and mocked. And he went back into the terrain that was so formidable that young John Mark said, I'm going home. He went back through there. Why? Why? Because there's some valuable things that needed to be done yet in these places. I want to speak for just a few moments this morning on this topic. Courageous Christianity. This was courageous Christianity. Paul was not being foolish. Paul was not being uh, presumptuous on God. Paul was following the Holy Spirit's leadership back to those other cities to finish the work. Is that not what the Holy Spirit told us in verse number 26 when they finally got home to Antioch and came to their home church? The Bible says they came back to the place that they had been commended by the grace of God to go out into this work, which work they fulfilled. This was part of finishing the work. I want you to see this today. Look very carefully with me, if you will, please, in verse number 21. And they're down in Derby now. This is the day after Paul has been stoned. They go down to Derby and they preach the gospel to that city and taught many and returned again to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch. Now, understand that Paul just got stoned there in Lystra. He went back in that city and preached the gospel, and then he dropped down the next day to Derby and was there. And I don't know how long he was there. Some people say that this this missionary journey of Paul's took anywhere from nine months to five years. And, And I would say that really a safe estimation of what they went through, how they had to travel, the modes of transportation, the length of time that they stayed in different locations, I would be safe to say that from the time they left Antioch in Syria and went all the way back around to Antioch and Syria, some about two and a half to three years would have passed. And these were turmoil-filled years. These were difficult days. They were walking and sailing and preaching and living hand to mouth as they went on their journey. It would have been very easy to just go home. But they went back to finish the work that God had called them to do. Being led by the Spirit of God, they went back into the fire. And I want to tell you today, the great distinction, I believe, between the modern-day American church and the first-century church of the New Testament, I think the great defining difference is courage. The courage to obey. The courage to do what God has called us to do. Let me tell you, we're seeing it now. It's at our doorstep now. Now, We've seen how the devil operates. Back in the book of Daniel, we saw saw how the Chaldeans, uh, that evil empire of Babylon, came in and was, was eradicating different cultures. Babylon didn't play around. The Chaldeans were vicious and vile and wicked, and they didn't mess around. The Chaldeans had a method that they used. When they came into a nation to take over that nation, they wanted to so eradicate that nation that it could not be built back. And so they would come in and they would decimate their capital cities. 
they would go into the houses of their gods and take all their vessels and statues or the instruments of worshiping that nation's gods, and they would carry them and put them in the house of the gods of the Chaldeans to say, our gods are greater than your gods. They would lay waste to the cities. Then they would take the best of the best of their young people, and they would bring them to the Chaldean schools. They would teach them the Chaldean language. They would teach them the Chaldean sciences. They would teach them, they would teach them all the new religions of the Chaldeans. They would change their names, and by the way, then they would manipulate their genders. They would make eunuchs out of those boys. You see, what we're seeing in America today is not new. It may be new to us, but it's always been in the devil's game plan to strip the identity away of people so that Satan can put his own identity in place. But let me tell you what you saw in Daniel. In a young man named Daniel, in chapter 1, you saw a young man who purposed in his heart not to defile himself. And Daniel, very diplomatically, very respectfully, very carefully, went through the proper chains of command, all the while knowing that at the top, if they finally say, no, Daniel, you have to do this, then I'll die for what I believe in. He wasn't a jerk. He didn't protest. He just very, very respectfully went through. But in his heart, all the while knowing that if it comes to the end of this and they say, no, I'm willing to die for that. There were three boys in his group that saw Daniel's courage, and it had a pronounced effect upon those boys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And in chapter 3, when they were told to bow down before the Babylonians' image of Nebuchadnezzar, those boys would not bend, and they would not bow. And, And the devil threw everything in his playbook. If you read Daniel chapter 3, they bring all kinds of music, the flute, the cornet, the sackbut, the psaltery, all kinds of music, all kinds of music, all kinds of music. Get everybody in this mode of all this music. And why does the devil use that kind of music? He uses all these kinds of music. What was he talking about? He, he, he first uses emotional appeal to people. He plays on your emotions. And so he wanted the people to be emotionally involved. By the way, we've seen that game plan in America for the last, the last several decades. The emotional appeal, love is love. Let's all celebrate. I mean, diversity. The only thing that they won't celebrate is Christianity. But it's all emotional. It's all emotional. It's all emotional. We've seen it in the last couple years. It was the emotion of fear. This virus is coming and everybody's going to die. Millions are going to die. Fear, 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 fear. Did people get sick and die? Yes. But I want to tell you, they played on the emotion of the American population, the world population. Fear, fear. That's been Satan's game plan, emotions. And when that didn't work for the three Hebrew children, then they brought in all the sheriffs, the treasurers, the judges. They brought in all the civic leaders, the the state leaders, the commerce leaders. They brought in all the corporate heads. Read about it in Daniel chapter 3. They brought all of them together and said, okay, if emotional pressure doesn't work, societal pressure will work. We'll cancel you if you don't bend. We'll destroy you. You can't shop here. You can't go here. We're going to bring all the the leaders of society together, the governors, the sheriffs, the lawmakers, the commerce leaders, uh, all the business corporations, all of us are going to say, we're going to put whatever flag is popular this month in our profiles, and we're going to make this a social thing. You either bend or you're the outcast. And we have our new flag of the month. 
and you bend or else. And the devil's playbook has always been emotional appeal and then social pressure. And when those two things don't work, then they were brought before Nebuchadnezzar and he said, you either bend or you go in the fiery furnace and burn. At the end of the devil's playbook of emotional enticement and social pressure is always government enforcement. Then the government says, you will or you will die. And as God, Nebuchadnezzar said, and then who's going to deliver you? What God's going to deliver you out of my hands? Well, there were three boys who learned something from Daniel, and they stood up and said, King, we're not careful to answer you in this matter. We don't have to huddle. We don't have to sleep on it. We don't have to call our attorneys. We don't have to figure out what we're going to do. We are not going to bow down to your God. And we know that our God is able to deliver us. But if he doesn't, be it known unto thee, O king, we're not going to worship your God, and if you put us in the fire, our God will still deliver us from you through the fire. And can I tell you what happened to those courageous boys? They didn't bend, they wouldn't bow, and guess what? They didn't burn either. <laughs> and it was through that that Nebuchadnezzar saw Jesus in them and said, only the God of these boys is going to be worshipped here. You see, the greatest way, the greatest way to get the gospel in reality to the masses of people who will not see is through courageous Christianity. I want you to see in our text this morning very quickly, number one, they had the courage to evangelize. They had the courage to evangelize. The Apostle Paul, everywhere he went, he was faced with opposition and persecution and naysayers and debate and accusation. Everywhere he went, he was faced with persecution. Everywhere, everywhere, everywhere. He goes to Lystra and gets stoned ultimately to death or near to it. And then he gets up and goes back into that city and preaches to that same city the gospel. Then goes down to Derby and stays there for a while and preaches the gospel. They had the courage to evangelize. Well, why wouldn't they? Our Lord Jesus told us the last thing he said before he left was this, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Now, I understand, the Jewish people back, the Jewish believers back in Jerusalem, this is some 20 years after Pentecost, were still having an issue with the every creature part. They were still struggling with the whole Gentile thing. But Paul was courageous enough to go to people that weren't like him and preach the gospel to those people because Jesus had said, go preach the gospel to every creature. And by the way, I want you to understand something today, Front Range. We still have a whosoever will gospel to preach to the world. We still have a gospel that whosoever believes on the Lord Jesus Christ shall be saved. We still have a mandate. We've been singing in Sundays coming up to our missions conference that we are facing a task yet unfinished because the whole world has not heard the gospel yet. My wife uh, has a little staging business that she did when we first moved to Colorado. She had to, we had to figure out a way to figure out how to pay for girls going to college and weddings that were coming up. And so she got a little business to stage furniture for realtors. She works hard at that. She has to carry a lot of furniture. I have to carry furniture. <laughs> Several, about a year or so ago, she had hired a 
couple guys here in the local area that were looking for jobs and just got a couple young college guys to come help her. And she began to witness to these boys as she was talking with them and began to witness. Man, let me tell you something. Graduates of Colorado State University, residents of Colorado, United States of America, 2022, had never heard of Adam and Eve, had never heard of Noah's Ark, had never heard, had never heard the gospel. And as she started in the book of Genesis and went all the way through the Old Testament and came to Calvary, his eyes were, oh. So that's why churches use crosses. Had never heard. Might live on your street. Might have gone to school with some of you young people in here. You might be friends with his mom and dad at your work. Never heard the gospel. Never knew that Jesus died on a cross. Here in this city, in NOCO, here in this place, in our universities, in the shadow of our steeples, going to hell in the shadow of the church. Why? Because we're not courageous enough to evangelize. One person in one job somewhere could have opened their mouth and spread the gospel to a coworker and shared the gospel with them, and maybe that would have gone home to him. I don't know who, I don't know where, I don't know how, but I just know this. There are young people all over this city who've never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the church today has no courage to evangelize. Oh, we got all of our doctrine. We can parse it out. I mean, the other, other week we went through all this thing about the election and the free will. And boy, man, we all enjoy the deep things of God. And we get the privilege of sitting in here and parsing it all out. We have the privilege of criticizing what goes on in the church or what doesn't go on in the church to our likes and our preferences. All the while, we are yet not reaching the world with the gospel. We get, we get the privilege of debating over what kind of worship, what kind of songs, what's the liturgy of the service, choir, no choir, robes, no robes. I mean, what do we do? How do we, how do we work it all out? What, I mean, we, we, have the, we have the privileges of modern day American Christians to parse it all out and yet going through life unfulfilling our commander in chief's last command. The Bible tells us that the preaching of the gospel is not for preachers. See, we've made a really bad mistake in our culture today. We call people like me preachers. The Bible never calls me a preacher. The Bible calls me a pastor, a bishop, an elder, an overseer, a shepherd. The Bible calls you a preacher. What does the word preach mean? It means to proclaim. In Romans chapter 10, Paul was speaking about the gospel and how the Jews had rejected the gospel. And he said, he said in there, he said, they have already known from the old prophets that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And then Paul asked a series of questions. He said, how then shall they call on him? Listen, if they call on the Lord, they will be saved. Then Paul said, let me ask you a question. How can they call on him in whom they have not believed? It's a good question. How would they call on Jesus if they haven't believed on Jesus? 
He said, but let me ask you another question. How shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? I mean, if people call upon the name of the Lord, they can be saved. But how can they call upon him if they haven't believed on him? And how can they believe on him if they've never heard of him? And he said then, and how shall they believe in him who they not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher, a proclaimer? Then he says in verse number 17 of that same passage of scripture, for then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Listen, I'm so tired of this whole idea of spiritual fatalism that whatever will be will be and God will save who he wants and God won't save who else he wants. Listen to me, listen to me, listen to me. That's God's business. Our business is to be about our father's business and telling everybody we can about his son who came to take away the sins of the world. I can't make them believe, but I, they can't believe if they don't hear, and they can't hear if we don't proclaim. We're to proclaim the gospel to every creature. <laughs> let, me, let me remind you, it, this takes courage. The Apostle Paul said it takes so much courage that we better take on the armor of God. You know, you know what? You know, so many Christians are just going about our Christianity so casually. We're living in hostile world. We're living in a world dominated by satanic principles and oppression and demonic. Listen to me. What's going on in Washington is not a Republican, Democrat thing. It's not a conservative and liberal thing. It is demonic. It is spiritual wickedness in high places. It's high time that the Christian remembers that we are not wrestling with flesh and blood. My battle is not with Biden. My battle is not with Polis. My battle is not with our governor and our mayor and our city council. Our battle is with Satan. And we are to gird ourselves with the, with the girdle of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the helmet of salvation, and then the shoes of the gospel of peace. Paul said in Romans chapter 10, when he was talking about how should they hear, he said, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel. You know why they're beautiful? Because they're shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Everywhere Christians go, they're carrying a message that you have peace with God through Jesus Christ. How many of you know the world needs to hear that? Jesus was sent for one reason. Paul said, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. We all should say amen to that right there. God sent his son for one purpose in John chapter 19. The son of man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Jesus read from Isaiah 61 in his own home synagogue concerning himself. He said this. He said, the spirit of the Lord hath anointed me to preach the gospel. And then Jesus turned around to his disciples and said, as my father sent me, even so send I you. What did his father send them to do? Seeking to save that which was lost. What did his father come, what did his father send them to do? To come with the gospel of peace and to preach the gospel to every creature. And what did Jesus do? He sent us as his father sent him. That's why Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we are ambassadors. We have the message of reconciliation. We have the word of reconciliation. We are ambassadors as representatives of heaven to go tell all the world in Christ's stead, in his place, we're to go out in all the world and share the gospel. 
It takes courage to do it, by the way. It takes courage to sit down with somebody and ask them about their soul. It takes courage to sit down and talk to your parents. Some of us have lost family members, lost children. We have lost them. Remember the days when we used to weep over that? Let me ask you a question today. I want to ask you a personal question. Can you name five people that you're praying for that are lost that need to be saved? let's, Let's narrow it down. Can you name one? Do you have one person that you're praying for that's lost and said, oh God, they need to be saved? And then take the courage to give the gospel to them. It takes courage to evangelize. The next thing that Paul did, watch this very carefully, and we'll be done in just a minute. Paul went back to these very same cities that he'd been in turmoil with, and he preached the gospel there. But watch in verse number 22. He went back to all those towns, confirming the souls of the disciples and exhorting them to continue in the faith that we must, through much tribulation, enter into the kingdom of God. What was he doing? Number two, he was confirming the believers. It takes courage to, to establish believers. The word confirm there in your Bible means to strengthen, to further support, and to render more firmly. Paul went back to those places where people have been saved in hostile places, and he went back there to strengthen them and to confirm them. Listen to me, church. Everybody look right up here for just a minute. We're going to be done in a minute. But listen to me. It takes courage to disciple new believers. The word here in the Bible that says exhorting them, it's the same word used of the Holy Spirit as our comforter. It's the paraclete. It's to come alongside of them, to call them to your side, and to comfort them, to instruct them, and to teach them. Paul came back to confirm, to strengthen these disciples that were in these hostile cities. And how did he do that? He called them to his side. He put them under his arm. He sat with them. He talked with them. He loved them. He instructed them. He gave them the message that, listen, Listen, you need to continue in the faith. And they said, but Paul, it's hard. The bar I used to get drunk at is at the end of my street. I'm, I'm tempted every day. My friends that I used to party with, when I go to work, they're asking me why I'm not partying with them anymore. It's so hard. When I tell people that I'm a believer, my boss, my boss threatened to fire me for that, Paul. I've been persecuted. My family, my family wants nothing to do with me. Paul said, you need to continue in this faith. Continue in this faith. He put his arm around him. He strengthened him. He encouraged him. He gave them the word of God. He showed them how to go forward. You know, we sit back sometimes and we think, you know, all these people getting saved, do they really mean it? I mean, where are they? Well, let me ask you the question. It's not where are they, where are you? Since I've been pastor here, I've seen some people get saved. And I just want to tell you right now, the gospel light will attract a lot of strange bugs. And if you don't think that that's true, look in the mirror. You know what I've heard people say? That guy gives me the creeps. That guy, man, that guy's kind of weird. That, that person is, you know, did you see what color hair they had? But where is the... Let me keep going. It's going to be rough. It's going to be hard. 
There's temptations, there's trials, there's persecutions, there's loneliness, there's ostracization, there's, there's, there, you're going to feel alone, you're going to feel, but you're not alone, you're not alone, you're not alone, I'm going to walk with you, here's my number, call me, let me sit down and show you from the word of God, let me teach you the Bible, let me take you through this discipleship, let me walk with you, let me bring you to my side, let me pray with you, let me help you, hey, at two in the morning when you're tempted to get drunk, call me. That's what Paul was doing. Day and night, he said, day and night, I labored with tears with you day and night. Telling you, telling you that through much tribulation, we're going to enter the kingdom of God. Boy, is that not different than the modern day message. Sunshine, roses, health, wealth, prosperity. You know, if you're sick and you're broke and you're going through hard times and you're really struggling, you just don't have enough faith, brother. All the joy boys on TV, the name it, claim it, health, wealth, prosperity, that's not the message. You're going to suffer. Yea, and all that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Hey, we go out in this world and we start living wide open for Jesus and sharing the gospel. You're going to find some ostracization. You young people, when you go to school Monday morning and you start telling a classmate about Jesus and what you learned in church, don't be afraid when you don't have many friends. And you get marked as that person. I went to high school with a boy. He didn't come to my Christian school. We went to church together in the youth group together, but he went to a public school. I got to go to a Christian school. We had chapel and Bible class and all that every day. He didn't. He went to work. He went to school with his Bible. His daddy was a drunk. His mama worked two or three jobs. He'd go, to, he'd, go to, he'd go to class with his Bible. He'd have teachers tell him, hey, go put that in your locker. And he'd say, can I, can I, please, can I please have it with me? Well, we can't have that in the school. He had friends mock him and make fun of him. <laughs> this little sack of bones, that's all he was. Maybe he's a little skinny kid. He's at school one day, and all the, all the big boys, the bullies got around him, started making fun of him for carrying that Bible, calling him a weakling, and calling him all kinds of names. You know, you know what he did? He said, you, you think I'm weak for carrying this Bible? They said, yeah, you're, you're a sissy. He said, here, you carry it. But I want to tell you something. I want to tell you something. I want to tell you something. I don't remember many youth group meetings where Carl didn't have somebody from his school with him that he had invited to come. That boy started a Bible, he started a Bible study in his school. He led teachers to Christ. Not without much persecution. It takes courage to come alongside some of these new converts and deal with their vices and deal with their hurts and deal with their burdens and, and to help them and encourage them. Oh, listen, we need some courage today to come alongside some new believers. Hey, listen, some of us old mossy backs who've been around this thing for a long time and we've got it all figured out. Listen, I'm telling you, I'm telling you right now what we need is a revival of some of the elder and some of the mature and some of those who've been with God to come alongside of people who are just trying to figure it out and to teach them the way of God more perfectly and to show them what it looks like in their shoes, at their job, in their home, with their temptations, that Jesus can save them and has saved them and has delivered them and continue in the faith. And then I'll close with this. They had courage to entrust them 
What does that mean? Look at verse 23. And when they had ordained elders in every church. Well, you know, I was really surprised by that. How quickly they could find these elders in the church. And you know why I believe? You know what I believe? You know, it takes years to find, you know, get people up to be mature enough to pastor a church in modern day America. These guys matured quick. And you know why? They were in the fire. They were in the fire. And these boys matured quickly. When Paul came back, he started looking for people who were blameless, husbands of one wives, looking for men who had the qualifications. They weren't strikers. They weren't brawlers. They were men who were humble, who were apt to teach, who loved God, who knew the word of God, who had the giftings of preaching and leadership and shepherding. And he saw these, he began to, he began to identify the leaders and ordain elders and say, here, you take, listen, we had these new converts here. We had to leave because of persecution, but we've come back to help you with a fellowship, to help you with a church. Every Christian needs fellowship and every fellowship needs a leader. Everybody needs that pastor. Everybody needs that leadership in the church. And every church is unique and every church is different, but every church has the same Lord. And this is what they did. Watch what they did. Look at verse 23. Watch what they did. He ordained them elders and prayed and fasted with them and then commended them to the Lord on whom they had believed. You know what Paul did not do? Paul did not put them under a denominational rule. Paul got them pastors, and he got the church together. He said, okay, this is going to be your church, and this is going to be your pastor. He prayed with them. He fasted with them, and he said, okay, God, I'm giving this little church to you. We're putting it into your care. We're commending it. We're setting it at your feet. You're the head of this body. The church of Jerusalem is not the mother church. There's no pope. There's no holy father. There's only one father, the father in heaven. There's no hierarchy of churches. There's no denominational oversight. This is a church under the headship of Jesus Christ. And can I tell you what? Jesus knows how to guide his church. He knows how to pastor his church. I'm not the pastor of this church. I'm the bishop. I'm the overseer. I'm the one who has to take the responsibility. I'm not the one that has to give an account. But let me tell you, Jesus is the pastor of this church. Don't think for a minute. Please don't think for a minute that what I'm doing in this church are my ideas. I'm spending time with the Lord and fasting and praying and saying, Lord, how do you want us to go forward? What do you want us to do? These are turbulent days. How do, we, how do I help our people? How do we encourage our families? How do we grow in the Lord? How do we build up the church in the most holy faith? And listen, what we're doing right now is not always what we're going to be doing. There's more to do. There's more ministry. There's a lot more to accomplish. But we're, we're, just, we're just pulling it all together now. We're getting vision, but listen, this is the Lord's church. It's not my church. It's not your church. It doesn't belong to Bob Jones University. It doesn't belong to Pensacola. It doesn't belong to Maranatha. It doesn't belong to a fellowship of colleges or universities or or some denominational pool. This is the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul didn't give them a set thing and say, here, follow our fellowship creed and code and guidelines. He just said, okay, Lord, they're saved. They've been discipled, they've been strengthened, they've been encouraged. We've given them a pastor. Lord, here's your church. Be the head and guide it. Paul made his way down the mountains, came back to Persia, and he paused in Persia. Why did he pause there? Well, that's where John Mark had left. There was some bad taste in his mouth about that city. So Paul paused there. He said, I want to change my 
my taste about this city where John Mark quit on us. I don't want to remember this for the quitting. I want to remember this for the power of God. So not only did he pause there, but he prayed there, and then he preached there. And many came to know the Lord in Persia. And then he went over to Pamphylia and caught a ship and sailed back to Antioch and said, okay, Lord. And I can see him as he's sailing away, looking back at those mountains, knowing that on the other side of those mountains were brand new Christians in hostile places with the gospel. And Paul prayed, oh God, use them, give them courage. Let them spread the gospel to regions beyond. God, use your church. You know what I'm saying today? I'm saying today, God, give us courage. Let's quit hiding behind our excuses and become Christians that can live for the Lord with boldness, sharing the gospel, with compassion coming alongside of new believers and stop looking at them like they're different than us. They're no different than you. You just sin differently than they do. You know, it's easy to point out people who sin differently than we sin, huh? Oh God, I look at these new people who've been saved these last couple of years, oh God, raise them up. Use them. I'm commending them to you. I'm standing with them. Well, listen, listen, listen. We want to see America changed. This is what it's going to take. And by the way, the report from these guys years later, these are the guys that turned the world upside down. And how do they do it? Not through political revolution, but through courageous Christianity. God help us today. And let me just pause for just a moment and say, if you do not know Jesus Christ as a personal savior, he never gave you, he never gave you fine print. He was honest and true with you. If you're going to be saved, you must come to him as a sinner, as a sinner, repenting and trusting him. And you come to him and you receive him as your savior. You take the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord Jesus Christ. You believe on him. You receive him. He'll forgive you. He'll take you. <laughs> and he'll make you a new creature. And he'll use you. And the message today is whosoever will may come. If you don't know Christ as a personal savior, you can know him today. Father, I pray right now. <laughs> Lord, as I've been preaching through this book and studying this book, you know the times I've spent on my knees with you in conviction. I've asked you, Lord, as a pastor, give me courage. Give me boldness to preach this. Lord, it takes much more courage to live it. I pray for our church family. God, I pray that we would be Christians filled with the word of God and boldness and we would see the gospel as the answer for the hour. May we be little torches just carrying the gospel into this darkness. I pray today for our people that you would equip them 
with all the burdens and all the heartaches and all the sorrow and all the difficulties. Lord, may we come next to each other and pray with each other and encourage each other and hold each other up. And when we come into this place, may we strengthen one another. On Wednesday night, as we come for prayer meeting, may we learn to pray with one another and to pray for one another and to strengthen us. God, may we be a strong church in the Lord. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. Who here this morning would say, Pastor, I desire that kind of courage in my Christianity. I desire that. I don't know necessarily how, but with God's help, I want to be a courageous Christian. Would you slip your hand way up high? Way up high. My hand is with your hand. Oh, God, make us courageous ministers of peace. God, do it. God, do it. Who's here this morning would say, Pastor, I'm one of those that doesn't know Jesus as a personal Savior. I don't know Christ as a personal Savior. Would you pray for me? I don't know Jesus Christ personally. If I died, I don't know that I'm going to heaven. I want my sins forgiven. I want to receive Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Pray for me. Would you slip your hand way up high? If that's you today, would you just slip your hand way up high? I'm not going to embarrass you, but I do want to pray for you. Just slip it way up high, put it right back down. Let's all stand quietly. If you're able to stand, would you stand quietly to your feet this morning? I'm gonna ask Melissa to play. And let me, let me just say as a pastor today, I hope you know my heart, church. I know you're getting to know me still. We're, we're just, we've just been here three years. I know that we're all still learning. I want you to know my heart. I'm an imperfect pastor. I'm an imperfect man, but I love Jesus. I can, I can tell you today that I love Jesus. I love Him. And I want people to know Him. I want you to know Him. I want you to grow in Him. I want to bring others in. Teach them the way of God more perfectly and teach them how to live for Christ. How to be godly husbands, godly wives, godly young people. That's what we're here for. Our church is simple. It's a simple thing. But man, our mission is hard, isn't it? (laughs) It's going to take some courage. Would you just take a moment and pray? Just ask the Lord, has he spoken to you? Would you respond to him? Maybe, Lord, I don't know what all this looks like, but I'm, here I am. Our Father, I pray today that you'll hear the hearts of your people and that, Lord, they would hear from you. I believe you've spoken to us today. We asked you to. I believe you have. Now, Lord, give us courage to respond obediently. Lord, we're, we're going to have to grow in it, some of us. But you're very patient. You're long-suffering. You're gentle. <laughs> You know how to help us, so we ask you to help us. Lord, we're burdened today. I think about this day, September 11th, and what happened so many years ago.
So many people lost their lives. Lord, from the best of our understanding of what happened on the events of that day so many years ago, we don't know all the details, but what we've been told is 19 young men with hatred in their heart, religious zeal in their minds, took those people captive on planes and flew into buildings trying to bring America to its knees. Now, Lord, I don't pretend to know all of the the situation, but you do, but I do know this, if that's the case. There were 19 young men who called Allah God and followed the Islam faith who changed this country radically. How much more could a group of people like this under the control of the Holy Spirit with hearts full of love and the good news of Jesus Christ change this country radically. Give us courage. Lord, I pray that you'll strengthen your people in these days. May we love each other better. May we pray with each other more fervently. May we be more faithful. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, amen and amen.